Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. Got some great things going on today. We're going to be talking about, hey, fishing in the Ozarks. Imagine that. I spent a lifetime here in the Ozarks, about 45 years, and uh what first brought me to Ozark, I was superintendent of Merrimack Spring Park way back in the early 70s. I left for a while, but came back. I just can't get away from these hills and these rivers. Talk about them practically every day of my life. But today I have on the show with me Mr. Michael Collins up from Jefferson City, Missouri. And Michael has Misty Mountain Guide Service. Uh, Michael, that sounds like a, a pretty intriguing name. How would you come up with the name Misty Mountain Guide Service? Well, Bill, I, uh, <laughs> I'm a little nerdy and I, uh, I really enjoy the, uh, <laughs> the J.R.R. Tolkien book. Uh, if you've ever read the Hobbit, there's a, uh, there's a, a mountain range in, in middle earth called the Misty Mountains, And I've always been really intrigued by that name. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, how, how the story goes is I was, I was driving down to, uh, the Rolla area one day to go do some trout fishing. And I'm looking around. It's really early, driving down Highway 63, and misty, just really misty. And you can see it just kind of rolling over the hills. And misty, misty mountains. There it is, misty mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck where you die. Anybody spent any time in the Ozarks can certainly identify with that description. That's absolutely perfect, man. But The Hobbit, well, I think I've seen maybe some of the videos or movies or something, you know, but I'm da- dating myself, you know. There's like a 40-year gap between us, uh, so I'm not into some of the latest things that you you youngsters are all about, you know. But, hey, I got grandkids that are into all that stuff, and Harry Potter, you know. I have to sit and watch those movies with them, and uh I think it's a little above me. I, I I just don't get everything that's going on, you know. But Misty Mountain, uh, I understand quite well. I've floated thousands of miles on our Ozark streams, and uh, boy, there's nothing finer than being camped out on a gravel bar on your favorite Ozark stream, and get up in the morning and that mist is rising off the off the water. And and if you got, I call them mountains, Ozark mountains around quite often, you know, those mountain tops will be fogged in that mist hanging heavily on them so man michael you've painted a beautiful picture for us here right off the bat so i get the feeling that you're uh you've been an outdoorsman all your life you know i uh my, my dad taught me well he taught me a lot of outdoor skills i, I was in the boy scout uh got my eagle scout award at the age of 18 right before it well right before i turned 18 actually um yeah always been outside i i can't sit still i gotta be out outside doing something well i tell you what i always tell people there's a lot worse things you can do than than go outdoors well you're a lucky young man if you you had a good father who's teaching you about the outdoors and uh, did you grow up in the jefferson city area i did yeah yeah right here in jet city well you you had uh you know within an hour or two of you some great great natural resources so there was uh no shortage of places to go and visit and uh, to explore so as a youngster what was your favorite outdoor area in missouri oh man uh that's a good question i would have to say the current river area has always uh always caught my eye uh we went down there for recreation as a kid and then Later on, I started getting into the, uh, the trout fishing down there, and it's just gorgeous. It, it really is. Of course, it's a national treasure, and I grew up at uh, kind of the other end of the state, southeast Missouri, uh, which is kind of part of the old south. I grew up on a cotton farm. I'm actually an old cotton picker, picked cotton by hand, you know, and I watched all that wow, change yeah. before my eyes. But uh, I certainly wouldn't want to do that uh, again. That's a difficult way to try to make a living. In fact, I used to tell my father once I graduated from high school, man, I was getting away from those swamps and the cotton fields. I was heading to the mountains. I had 
western United States on my mind, but then I discovered the Ozarks, and I thought, well, there's no point in going any further, you know. <laughs> so I, I spent some years as park superintendent and naturalist. I worked first at Merrimack Spring Park for the James Foundation, and then left there and went to Bennett Springs, where I was naturalist there, and at Montauk for a period of time. Then I kind of went out on my own, uh, uh, got another career, and then really began writing on the on the side and been writing now for over 50 years and michael <laughs> sounds like you uh uh man you had a good good uh, foundation there and uh current river is not a bad place to have as a as a favorite place to go and did you go down primarily to canoe camp or fish or a combination of all well prim Believe it or not, it's primarily uh, canoeing on the weekends down there. My parents really enjoyed the, uh, the float trip in the summertime. And so we'd always go down to the Current River or maybe it's the Niangua or Merrimack, just where, wherever they wanted to go. And we'd float all day, camp all night, and have a good have a good time. Oh, um, you as, bet. Just no better as, than as that. Years, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, as the, as the years went on, they uh, started – putting a fishing pole in my hands and yeah I, you know i just became addicted after that well it, it it's not difficult to become addicted to our our riverways here in the ozarks for sure there's so many that uh, we can get to in a short period of time and boy i've floated a lot of them of course i love the merrimack because it's practically right out my back door i spend more time on it than any of them but i love the all oh, the curtaway the who's all uh you know the little piney big piney gasconade are all close to me and and you know current river is only uh about 50 minutes for me, so I can get there pretty quick. Love the Jack's Fork. But I got to say, oh, gorgeous. yeah, absolutely gorgeous. But my favorite is the 11 Point. It's a little bit bigger river, uh, some deeper holes and that sort of thing. But I've caught some tremendous fish out of there over the years. I just don't get there as often as I w- would like to. But, uh, Michael, you, you, man, you've lived a charmed life thus far. And what uh, whatever possessed you to get into the the guide business? Well, you know, I've been fishing since I was about four years old, and I've been fly fishing since I was about 10 years old. And it seems like every year that goes by, I just get more and more drawn into it. Uh, I just love the sport. I love everything about it. And uh, as I get older, I've had more and more people coming to me saying, hey, teach me how to do this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I at first I was nervous. I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I can teach this. And well, I, I started doing it, you know. Sure. And just wait right you know it, I've got <laughs> right, right. <laughs> before you know it, I've got people telling, "Hey, you know, you taught me how to do this. Now take me down to the water." Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. And uh, it just it just seems like as the last few years has gone by, I've had more and more of that happening to the point where you know I should really monetize this. And it's not about the money, but it's right more one of those things. If if you love something why not make a career out of it so uh exactly and and it does cost money particularly put fuel in a vehicle these days so nothing wrong with getting getting a return on your efforts but i have to commend you there (laughs) i I love the story you told how how things transpired for you i've seen so many young guys are just so enthusiastic about the outdoors and they want to guide but they're kind of trying to force themselves on people and sometimes their tactics are not the best uh you had a natural transition there where people were coming to you and asking you to teach them and to take them so you were obviously doing a great uh many things right because there is you know i'm 73 years old and i've seen a lot of people come and go in this this business but the naturals they draw people to them and sound like that that's what you're doing so hey good start i'd say so in your first year <laughs> yeah you've been guiding for about a about a year now then and i followed you on uh, facebook some watching your uh post look like you're catching some quality fish look like you're doing things uh right and by right i mean uh, it's obvious that you have a love for the outdoors and you respect the resource now in your first year uh where have you taken people on guide trips? Okay, so for smallmouth bass, and I, I kind of break this into two parts. I, uh, I guide for smallmouth bass as long as it is warm enough 
Yeah. It's a smallmouth bass want to eat, right? I don't really enjoy the wintertime fishing, and I've taken a few people to do the wintertime bassing, and it's, it's more of a grind than anything. So in the summertime, you'll find me on the Mary's River. Uh, I'm not going to say what part. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a really good bass resource. It's um, floatable most of the spring. Once you get into this time of the year, it gets pretty uh, pretty thin, and it's more of a wading creek. Um but it's still a great resource. Um, I also guide for bass on the upper Merrimack, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh, um, yeah. And then I really have a, uh, a I, I call it a secret spot. I call it River X. I don't like putting it out there unless uh, unless you're a client. You really want to want to learn how to do this kind of stuff. But it's a pretty small, pretty uh, tucked away little stream in the in the mid Missouri area. That's all I'll say about it. But it's a uh, chock full of smallmouth bass spotted bass and oh it's a great time oh some of those teeny tiny small creeks boy they they are jewels and i love them i got several of them that i go to and i don't talk about them don't uh, write about them or anything because uh, i want them to stay where they are pretty pristine and and you know sometimes they're hit and miss but i love to wade and fish to me that's one of the coolest things we can do in the ozarks is be able to wade, wade these small streams and Sometimes catch some pretty decent uh, fish. Like I say, it doesn't happen every day. But you mentioned, Michael, that you uh, do most of your smallmouth fishing in the summertime. Now, that's uh, uh, that's a little bit odd to me, although I love fishing for smallmouth in the summertime because you, you get that good topwater bite, you know, particularly early in the morning, late, and even, even at night. For sure. Now, I've, yeah. I've floated in canoes at night and fished on the streams and uh, particularly under a full moon, and that that is just a f- fascinating thing to do. But honestly, I do most of my fishing in the Missouri Ozarks in the wintertime. I, I prefer the cold weather because, uh, number one, there's fewer people out there, fewer bugs to deal with, and it's just that cold, crisp air. I just absolutely love it. So you and I are going to have to meet up at some point, and I'm going to take you on a cold-weather smallmouth fishing trip. And uh, Well, Bill, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I think I prefer the, the wintertime fishing more than the summertime. You know, I, I do all my trout fishing and trout guiding in the wintertime. Yeah. And it's like you said, there's less people. It's uh, quiet out. It's, it's a very rewarding experience. And a lot of times, you may, you may have a day where you're getting into more fish in the dead of winter than you are on the nicest day in the summer. Yeah, particularly particularly with trout, uh, because I, mm-hmm. I know, boy, it's been crazy on the Merrimack this year. Back in the spring, we just had rain, rain, rain. Uh, the river would get almost in good shape in fact i owe a gentleman a a trip that, that sold at an auction and uh we've been a year and a half trying to get this trip in because uh, we had oh, wow. yeah we had so much trouble with the river i just i want the guy to have an excellent trip and uh it flooded and it'd get almost good shape and it flood again and then the drought hit and i don't hit the trout streams too hard in a drought situation like this because oxygen levels or a problem, you need to get those fish out of the water real quick, short fights, get right back in the water. True, so true. I don't spend as much time Definitely. in the summertime. But, uh, hey, Michael, I'll tell you what, time flies and you're having fun. We're going to take a short break here, folks, but don't go away. Michael Collins and I are going to be right back, and we're going to talk some more about Misty Mountain Guide Service. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on a beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. 
There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest bow fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Bow Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri, and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Bow Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Taney Como Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Bow Fishing at 573-263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. I'm Bill Cooper, and on the show with me is Michael Collins from Jeff City, Missouri. He has Misty Mountain Guide Service. Michael, man, we had a good time in that first segment. I'm just really getting to know you. I've followed you on Facebook and looked at all those smallmouth and trout photographs makes my mouth water you know not that i want to eat them all but (laughs) (laughs) makes me want to get out there (laughs) i heard that smallmouth tastes disgusting (laughs) (laughs) well i I have to admit i have eaten a few of them in my lifetime but not very many only time i ever keep one if it's really deep to hook and he's going belly up you know uh there you go haven't had that hasn't happened very many times because I uh, try to be very cautious with them. And, of course, I never did any smallmouth uh, fishing until I came to the Ozarks as superintendent of Merrimack Spring Park. But back then, Michael, I was I lived right there in the park, got off work at, I don't know, 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and I often headed to the river. And I could go down back in those days and a lot of time catch, you know, 30 or 40 smallmouth in an evening of fishing. And... Uh, very little traffic on the upper Merrimack in those those days. And that was about the time, though, that uh, all the locals that owned River Bottom Farms began to understand that they could make more money floating canoes than they could raising cattle, you know. So, mm. uh, yeah, I began to see things change quite a bit. And, uh, uh, boy, it was uh, fishing pressure got heavier. But I remember one morning... It was a Saturday morning. Uh, I was down on the river at a spot called Gin Beach there in Merrimack Spring Park, and I was doing a little smallmouth fishing, and it was just not too long after daylight, and that was back before all the regulations for the trophy trout waters in the smallmouth management area. And there's an old gentleman come down the river fishing a 12-inch natural-colored worm plastic worm and he had five smallmouth on a stringer none of them under three pounds maybe up to four wow. four and a half pounds i don't know i sat down on a gravel bar and almost cried <laughs> oh my god 70 years of fish there yes absolutely and uh, that's the only time i ever saw that but that gentleman obviously knew how to catch smallmouth bass and he was taking like you said about 70 years worth of or maybe more uh bass Probably more yeah yeah out of the river out of the stretch that i fished a lot you know and boy oh boy mm-hmm. never seen that again and i'm glad that's that's the case you know but uh, sure, michael yeah. let's get back to your guy business here i got some more questions uh, uh about it and uh, of course i'm sure our listeners are curious with you being uh so close here in uh, uh jeff's city and uh, where do where do most of your clients come from that you deal with out of the jeff city area or you get from all over you know, a lot of them are coming from Columbia, uh, ah. which is really awesome. Columbia doesn't have the amount of uh, fly fishing uh, opportunities like we do down in this area and further south. So I think a lot of those guys, with me being in Jeff City, I'm just right along the way there. So, uh, oh, you bet. Columbia, uh, 
getting some people from the Springfield area. Uh, St. Louis, I've gotten a handful from St. Louis and some from right here in Jeff City. Sure. Oh, wow. Well, for one year in the business, you've, you've done quite well, I'd say. Well, I've, uh, of course, know a lot of the good fishermen around the Ozarks. Some have passed on, unfortunately. I used to work with a gentleman by the name of Vernon Clemens was out of Rolla. He was originally from Bixby, Bixby, Missouri, but Vernon Clemens was probably the best smallmouth fisherman I ever ran into. He was great on the upper Gasconade, and he used to float an old river john, you know, uh, had rocker on both ends, just a little trolling motor on it, and loved to fish with Vernon cool. Clemens. Boy, just every time we'd hit a point, he'd tell me where he was going to cast, and he'd call the fish, and he, boy, he was correct about 90% of the time. <laughs> he, he could <laughs> catch the fish, but uh, Vernon's no longer with us. But uh, uh, there's a young man by the name of Tommy Bench that uh, guides on the uh, upper Gasconade now who's Probably, yeah, he's as good as Vern, maybe a little better. Tommy catches, uh, he either catches an awful lot of big smallmouth or he really knows how to make them look big in a photograph. (laughs) 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 But he does it extremely well. Well, it's interesting uh, that uh, people come from all over already, and I think your uh, guide service can only grow from here uh, because of uh, the success that you've had thus far. And uh, Yeah, I, I, I sure hope so. <laughs> oh, I don't think you I'm enjoying every minute of it. Oh, I'm sure you are. Now, uh, when you're guiding, let's let's say, uh, on, on the upper Merrimack, are you floating in a canoe, or what craft do you use to travel on the river? So I use two different crafts. I use a fly craft two-seater, um, and what a fly craft is, is an inflatable raft uh, set up drift boat style, so I can row it with, uh, with eight foot oars, and uh, I, it's really nice. I can pack a bunch of gear on the back end of it. I have a, a fisherman up front, and I'm just in the back rowing. I can put these guys exactly where they need to be sitting and uh, tell them exactly where to cast. Um, I, I can grab a net in a heartbeat and get their fish in for them, and it's just a great tool, especially in these smaller rivers where uh, you've got a lot of super shallow flats where it may be a couple inches for maybe a few yards or even more. Right. Uh, you can, it's wide enough. You can just pick it up and grab it and pull. You then, betcha. Uh, I fished out of those. Yeah, they're, they're pr- pretty cool. A good friend of mine, Damon Spurgeon, who has Cardiac Mountain Outfitters and guides on the Merrimack and gosh, the current and white river in arkansas as well he used to have one of those and he's graduated to a bigger drift boat now he sits in the middle and he have a guy in the front and a guy in the back i often drift along with him and uh, in my kayak and video those guys said he likes for me to come along too because i'm known as the gravel bar gourmet i've actually wrote a column for a magazine in st louis for i don't know a dozen years or so and all it was about was cooking on gravel bars so hey I'll have to, if you'll float me down the river, I'll cook for you. Bill, I think we're going to have to swap some gravel bar uh, recipes here sometime. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we could do that. I'm always looking for something new to cook on on the gravel bars for sure. So uh, do you use any other, you mentioned maybe another craft that you might use uh, on some of the rivers and streams? Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, that fly craft is only a two-seater, and I, I like a two-seater because of how small it is. On my on the Marys and my, my what I'll refer to as my secret river, uh, it's so small up in some of these spots that, you know, if it's four foot or maybe a hair wider, I can get that raft through, and that's, sometimes that's all you're working with. Right. Um, some of those bigger three-seater rafts just simply wouldn't work. So to make up for that, what I use is a uh, – a Jackson Kusa kayak. Mm-hmm. It's a, I think it comes in at 11 foot and two inches, and it's a nice little uh, stand-up kayak that is specifically designed for rivers just like ours. It's got a good rocker to it. It's got a, a pretty beefy front end that can take on ra- uh, rapids and waves. Uh, it's super stable, and, you know, I've seen people that are really nervous about riding in that kayak, standing <laughs> up in it. <laughs> Within five minutes of them standing up in that thing, they are just so confident with it. They're they're having a great time, and 
Yeah, they they make good use of it. <laughs> That's incredible. But those things have come a long ways within my lifetime because we used our Missouri Outdoor Communicators. It's a group of writers, radio, TV people, anybody in outdoor communications in the state of Missouri. In fact, we've got a few out-of-staters uh, that don't have organizations in their states. And we used to – we're kind of an old group now, but we used to float on a big piney every year. We only floated three miles, uh, but we had a weekend we call a floating bloat. We would float, camp on a big gravel bar, and cook and eat and tell stories all weekend, you know. But Joel Vance. That sounds great. Yeah, do you know who Joel Vance is? Used to be the editor. Editor who? Uh, editor of the Missouri Conservationist for about 25 years. Just probably prior to your, your time, you're pretty young. But, uh, you know, Joel passed away just uh, two or three years ago, I guess. But uh, Joel was always a big kayaker, a big fisherman, played a guitar for us and that sort of thing. But we were floating down, I think it was Current River one time. And uh, Joel, Joel liked to have a crowd, you know, to entertain. But we were floating along together, and we were – well, we were both in uh, canoes because we were polling canoes. We were the only two in the group that actually polled canoes. I just had an old. Oh, cool! Yeah, I just had an old gig pole that I used. Joel had a very fancy fiberglass uh, push pole, you know, but it had a rock in it. It was a very noisy thing. Every time he flipped it up side down to push from the other side, clank, clank, clank. You could hear his rock. You could hear he come coming for two miles. You know, I ragged him all the time about his rocky. Uh, push pole but anyway we're coming up on a show and a bunch of college girls in their bikinis uh sitting on a bank you know so joel's gonna put on a real show for him well i didn't care about a show i knew i wasn't gonna make it through that show standing up so i sat down and stayed behind joel and oh he's got the girls waving and all this sort of thing well joel hit a rock <laughs> oh <laughs> no yeah joel, uh, joel wound up out out in the river he got a big applause but <laughs> it wasn't quite quite the way he wanted it to end you know but anyway that uh that sounds pretty intriguing so now, are two of you on that in that kayak that you're talking about, or just one person? Nope, that's just a one-person kayak. Okay, so you bring, what, two of them, one for you and one for your customer? So usually what I'll do if I've got two people is I put one in the fly craft with me, and then I put the other one in the kayak, and I let the clients decide who gets to go where first. Ah. Uh, I, I want everybody to get a get a chance to ride on the raft because it's going to be a little bit easier to get your casts out and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I usually let them draw straws or let them pick who wants to go first <laughs> in the raft and <laughs> yeah, go from there. I think at my age, if I had somebody else along, I'd say, hey, you go in the kayak first and we'll see what happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely had those instances where it's uh, where it's like a son and a dad and the yeah. son says, dad, you're, you're, you're going to be in the raft all day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, so that's, well, that's whatever works. <laughs> but Hey, yeah, so, it sounds like a great deal of fun. So, all right, let's talk oh, about sure. let's talk about equipment just a little bit here. Now, uh, of course, they don't have to worry too much if you're in the raft and you're drifting along. Uh, is it all fly fishing for you for the smallmouth? So, how I do this is I facilitate everything that you need for fly fishing, and I highly suggest and promote the fly fishing aspect. And that's just because even though we're in a somewhat fly fishing area there's not a ton of people in the Missouri area that are into the fly fishing thing. And I really like promoting the sport that I've fallen in love with, you know, right. so I really try and promote the fly fishing and facilitate to that. I have had clients in the past that have said, Hey, I really just want to, you know, throw some spinning stuff. And I said, that is awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> sure. sure. So bring, bring what you want. And I, I do have a few rods, rods and reels set up for it. So if uh, I get a, a client or two that, they're they're not quite set up for it. I've, I've still got everything they need, but yeah, I uh, I can go either way with it. Well, that that's cool. That gives people a good opportunity. But uh, I love the fact that you are education educating folks about uh, fly fishing for smallmouth for these Ozark streams. Because I would dare say that many of them are probably flabbergasted at how well you can do fly fishing for uh, smallmouth. You know, they're real suckers for anything that looks like a crayfish and. Uh, got some oh, yeah. patterns I absolutely love to throw to uh, smallmouth, and particularly if you get in a situation where you can do a little sight fishing, you can actually see a smallmouth uh, 
boy, I'm disappointed if I don't catch them, you know, if I can see them. Uh, <laughs> if you don't mind talking, what are some of your favorite, you know, basic go-to fly patterns that you fish for uh, smallmouth on these streams? Sure. So I pride myself in being a big streamer guy. I love big streamers. And when I say big streamers, we're talking six to seven inch bugs. Wow. Uh, I tie them out of, out of deer hair, uh, marabou, uh, crap fur. I, I like to throw the big stuff. And the reason why is because, as I'm sure you know, Bill, smallmouth are extremely aggressive. When they, when they want to eat, they are going to hammer it. Absolutely. Every time. And so I've found that as long as they're not being extremely finicky, they'll eat a big bug. Almost every day I go out smallmouth fishing, I can get at least some follows. If it's, if it's a rough day, <laughs> we're talking, I can at least get follows. But usually I'm throwing those six inch flies and I'm getting fish. I'm, um, I'm sure that's true. Now with the, these bugs being that big, are they articulated streamers? You know, I would say probably 50% are. Uh, I I like to run the articulated streamers in areas where there's rainbow trout, like the uh, uh-huh. upper Merrimack. Yep. And the reason why, I call rainbow trout tail biters. Because <laughs> <laughs> true. if you ever watch, you know, if you ever watch rainbow trout, you know, it's totally different from brown trout or, or smallmouth. You know, they, they come following a, a fly from the back end and they're going to nip at the tail. Mm-hmm. So those articulated two-hook patterns are really handy if you're ever in an area where you've got the rainbows. But uh, I would say probably the other 50% are deceiver-style uh, streamers. I tie them with one big hook, and it's designed. the hooks that I use are designed to just hook them right the side of the mouth. They, they grab onto these things, and they're not getting off. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like, what, what about favorite colors in those uh, big streamers? Oh, man, I'm, I'm always playing with my colors. You know, I, I think color is going to be dependent on what's going on in the environment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a really nice, hot, sunny day, you know, bluebird skies, I'm going to throw something extremely bright, uh, like fire tiger colors, and by fire tiger, I mean, you know, your, your lime green, then your yellows and your reds and oranges, super bright stuff. Maybe like some rainbow trout, you know, cotton candy kind of, kind of patterns, yep. your whites, blues and pinks. Um, if you've got kind of a darker day, I may go more natural colors, not necessarily dark colors, but natural colors. Right. Um, you know, if it's high water, I go black and purple, almost huh. religiously black and purple. It's just in that off-color water, they can see that better than anything else, and it just seems to work for me. Yeah, I've created so, a, black and purple. Yeah, good silhouette for them to see, I suppose. Definitely. In all, almost all of my flies now, I'm integrating at some part of the tying process, some sort of UV material. I, I've really been drawn into the UV stuff. I think that it, it gives us such a big advantage. Fish can see UV color way better than we can. Right, and I, I think it's a really looked over part of a uh, fly tying. I'm, I'm sure that's probably true. That's something I've not had much experience with, uh, so I'll have to keep in touch with you. See how that uh, develops for you. Hey, Michael, we need to take sure. another break here, uh, folks. I don't care if you're driving down the highway, carrying those groceries in, doing chores. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back in about one minute. Bass fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassAndBaskets.com.
fall is in the air. I was up at 1.30 this morning. Went outside to see the full moon. It was gorgeous, but it was in the mid-50s. It felt so good. And while I was out, I heard the mournful call of a screech owl. You know, there's lots of myths and mysteries and legends about owls and the Ozarks, and most are related to death and dying or wisdom and good fortune. Kind of opposite ends of the poles there. But the gizzard of an owl is said to grant luck when dried and worn around the neck. Boy, I know what I'm getting my wife for Christmas. I may be looking for a new place to live, too. But I was back up at daylight, took the two little dogs out for a little walk outside business, and I heard a great horned owl. I don't hear those real often here at home, but I do live in the woods, and occasionally I get to hear a great horned owl. They're the largest owl in the Ozarks. Silent death, they're called. They pick up a lot of creatures in the dark on those silent wings. Most common now we have in the Ozarks and off and hear them when I'm camped out on the rivers or floating down the rivers. That's the barred owls. It's great when you hear half a dozen owls up and down the river answering one another. They sound like a bunch of monkeys laughing. Never heard that. Hey, get out and float and camp on one of our beautiful Ozark streams. But boy, early this morning, local geese were flying overhead, headed to a nearby pond. This gave me the fever. It's not too too long till we'll be having our early goose season. I always enjoy getting out on some of the local ponds and uh, taking a few geese. I I put them in my wife's air fryer and kind of turn them into uh, uh, shredded goose like you would pork. Make great barbecue sandwiches. But uh, there were doves out in the food plot as well. Dove season starts September the 1st, and I can't wait. I do need to shoot a few clays on and get warmed up just a little bit. Teal season, just a couple weeks after that. Then the archery bow season for deer and turkeys starts September the 15th. And, wow, I've been watching for chanterelle mushrooms, too. They should start popping up any time in my area. We've gotten several rains over the last uh, two or three weeks, and these things start popping up late August and September, I love to collect those Chantel mushrooms. Eat some of them while they're fresh, just mush them up good. But some of them I pat them dry, let them air dry for a little bit, and then I put them in airtight containers or vacuum seal them and save them. Throw them in the freezer, man, use them over the winter, even into the following spring. And they're great as a meat replacement in spaghetti or throw them in with a the meat too, regardless. They are great, great fruits that we can collect from the out of doors it's just uh man fall i just can't wait for it to get here and it's great great times but their late great leonard hall one of the finest naturalists ever to come out of the missouri ozarks he uh wrote several books one of them was a journal of the seasons on an ozark farm and uh just a short little reading out of his book uh, talking about September and the fact that autumn was coming. He says, There are, of course, some fruits of the forest that do not become edible until a hard frost, while others are just now at their peak. On our walk around the farm, uh, he found, for example, that the wild grapes were turning ripe and hanging in dark clusters from ancient vines that climbed to the tops of the highest trees, sometimes strangling them to death. The grapes are edible. Though a trifle sour, they still need a frosty night or two to convert the juice to sugars. Yet now is when uh, they should be gathered for making wild grape jelly, which has a fine, tangy flavor that goes well with any sort of wild game. Yeah, in my younger days, I used to make wild grape jelly. Later on, when frost has sweetened them, it is almost impossible to get them to gel. Elderberries are another fruit that must be gathered before frost, and boy, they're plentiful here in the Ozarks. This is a versatile wild plant for a light wine can be made from the blossoms, which are also sometimes dipped in a batter and fried. The stems, which are hollow, were once used to make spiles for collecting maple syrup. In other words, they were sticking that hollow stick uh, in the maple tree, and the syrup would run down through that uh, spile and drip off into a bucket. Right now, the bushes are loaded with great clusters of purple fruit from which country folk like to make at least a pie or two and a few glasses of jelly. 
Most forms of wildlife share in the elderberry crop, too, including quail, doves, songbirds, deer, wild turkey, and fox squirrel, while cattle browse freely on the leaves and twigs, and this is also the case with their persimmon, although this fruit of autumn needs, with the exception of an occasional and rarely discovered tree, a few really frosty nights to turn it sweet and take out the pucker. Boy, if you eat them green, uh, you're definitely going to have a case of the puckers. Still, another autumn fruit is the blackhaw viburnum pruniforium, uh, which has a frosty dark blue fruit with a pleasant taste. This can also be used for making jelly, though the juice of some tart fruits, such as crabapple, must be added to give it flavor. Again, it is used by many forms of wildlife, and besides being a decidedly ornamental tree for use in the yard, it will help attract the songbirds. Little words of wisdom about farm life in the Ozarks back in Leonard Hall's days. By the way, he was a great proponent of uh, forming the Ozark National Scenic Riverways. Leonard Hall, a great Missourian. Hey, another tip of trout fishing. You know, boy, fish start feeding up for the winter in the fall. And if you're fly fishing for trout, remember accuracy above all. When contemplating the narrow cone of vision of a trout that's surface feeding in relative shallow water, Two things stand out. One is that a cautious angler can approach to a close position, particularly from behind the fish. But this advantage also comes with a challenge. This narrow window dictates that the fly be presented precisely in the trout's line of drift, no more than a foot or so to either side and just above the edge of the window. So there you have it. Cautious approach, close to the target, short, accurate cast, Trout on the line. Give it a try. I'm sure many of you are great fly fishermen and know that fact. Teach a youngster. Hey, it's time, fun time here on uh, the show, and it's time for the giveaway. And today's giveaway comes from a new sponsor, Misty Mountain Guide Service. That's Michael Collins out of Jeff City, Missouri. He's known for fishing big, uh, big streamers, and uh, he's a young man, about 30 years old, been fishing since he was four years old, guiding for a year or two, but his phone number is 573-823-9057, and Michael guides on the Marys River up close to Jeff City. I don't think I know of anybody else that guides on a Mary's River. But he also has a secret small creek that he takes people to for smallmouth bass. And he also guides on the upper Merrimack right in my backyard. I hope to get together with Michael soon. But, hey, what an awesome program he did uh, for us today. Gave a lot of information about fly fishing and fly fishing in the Ozarks. But anyway, we're giving away a $100 gift certificate towards a guided fly fishing trip with uh, uh, Michael Collins, and uh, let's see, let's reach around in the hat here, and our winner today is, oh, an old friend of mine from over the Waynesville area, great fly fisherman himself, Mr. Herb Turner. Herb, congratulations. If you go with Michael before I do, I want to report. I'm sure it'll be a good time with Michael. Hey, uh, I want to tell you again real quick like how to enter into the drawings Every two weeks, we give away a certificate worth $100 from uh, one of our sponsors. And uh, it's either a $100 gift certificate or $100 merchandise. All you have to do is go to Living the Dream Outdoors Podcast Facebook page, like the place, and then just type your name in. That automatically enters you into the drawing. Thank you so much. Have a good fall. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm Bill Cooper. I hope you've been enjoying listening to Michael Collins. I'm learning a few things, and I'm, wow, in my 70s, and this is a 30-year-old teaching me. I, uh, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> go prove, man. Uh, you know, there's always something new to learn in the outdoors, particularly when it comes to fishing. It's amazed me over the decades. I keep thinking the year's going to come when no manufacturer is going to have any new flies or lures or whatever. But they just keep coming up with some grand, grand ideas. But it's interesting in the last segment to listen 
do you talk about big streamers that you're fishing for smallmouth bass in the six to seven inch category now few times in my life have I fished streamers that that large I uh, fished them on the White River in Arkansas and I've been working part-time down in Yucatan Mexico for the last 14 years and on my first tarpon fishing trip, I took six and seven inch flies for the baby tarpon. The guys laughed at me. I thought, oh man, uh, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And they broke out, oh, flies on a number two hook about two to three inches long. That's that's what they use for baby tarpon from five to 30 pounds or so. But uh, anyway, pretty fascinating that you fish uh, streamers that large for smallmouth. But what about uh, the other half of the equation, uh, the trout that you fish for? And primarily rainbow trout, there are brown trout, of course, in the Merrimack, the Niangua, and uh, current uh, rivers. But what what are you throwing on the fly rod for the trout? Sure. So if I have the opportunity to throw a dry fly, Bill, I'm going to throw a dry fly. I, you know, in the trout world, dry fly, it's, it's classic. You know, river runs through it, kind of, kind of uh, <laughs> essence. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> just some, just something about throwing a dry fly is just so fun to me. Um, I love my elk ear caddis, my stimulators. Uh, we've got little, little tiny white mayflies that they're not truly PMDs, right. but everybody around here seems to refer to them as PMDs. Yeah, uh, little size eighteen twenties and even twenty twos. Yeah. So I love my dry flies. Uh, you know, if the dry fly bite isn't on, I'm I'm usually going to dredge the nymphs. I like to run uh, two fly rigs. Yep. Usually I'll run something uh, something big up top. And when I say big, what I mean by that is I'm running a fly that is going to act as a piece of split shot. Uh, I don't like using split shot. It kinks up your line. It's an anchor point in your casting, which means that it's going to, it's for a hinge point, if you will. So it has a potential to tangle your whole rig up. Yeah. I really just, <laughs> I'm sure we're all familiar with that, right? So, <laughs> Absolutely. I was battling that so, just this week, a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really like keeping it just streamlined as, as, as few tie-in points as possible while still running a, a two-fly rig. And I do run indicators. I, I've never gotten into the Euro-nymphing thing, although I, you know, I do find it intriguing. But, uh, you know, under my big, my big fly, we're talking like, uh, like stone rollers, uh, like cat's rubber legs, or maybe something simple like a San Juan worm, mm-hmm. anything with a little bit of weight to it. So behind that, I'm, I'm usually tying something fairly small. It may be, you know, like a, like a size 14 or 16 hairs ear. Um, and maybe uh, like a little caddis, like a little green caddis, or even sometimes I'm tying on some tiny little mid patterns. Uh, if they, if the fishing calls for it and the trout will tell you. <laughs> yeah. Usually, you know? usually doesn't take long cause they are always there. And, uh, I don't know so much about the other rivers, but the Merrimack is chock full of rainbows. And of course it's stocked almost daily from Merrimack spring park or some of those, uh, fish, uh, go down river. And it's always so amazing. Uh, you can tell a fish has been in the stream for a while because their colors are just brilliant after they've been feed, feeding on natural, uh, food for uh, a month or two. But, uh, boy, you mentioned a lot of fly patterns there, but, uh, I do a little Euro nymphing and Damon Spurgeon's the absolute expert at it and catches more trout than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And most of it on Euro nymphing and a lot of it in the winter time. But, uh, what size, uh, for your trout, what size fly rod are you using? For trout, just, uh, you know, your, in, your indicator rigs and dry fly rigs. Oh, you know, I always keep a nine foot five weight around. Right. Uh, it's just a really good general rod, you yep. know. Um, I started getting into some smaller rods here recently. I, I like my four weights, um, you know, and as I scale down my, my weight class of fly rod, I also like to scale down the length a little bit too to match. So usually my four weights are in that eight foot or eight foot six range. Uh, my three weights, you're looking at eight foot and I, I i have a two weight but i don't really like to cast it too much it's just not really applicable for, for a lot of the stuff that i'm doing but <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know if i ever go to colorado <laughs> yeah, yeah uh i've got a two weight mark van patten made for me many years ago he's a dear friend of mine uh you familiar with mark van patten 
you know, I uh, I saw Mark do a little presentation at the library in Jeff City here a few years back, and he's, he's a very knowledgeable fly fisherman. Oh, he's one of the best. He he was one of the original, original old timers uh, on the first dream team that was created. Of course, Mark retired from MDC. Bought a place down on Current River, he and his wife, Regina. And he works as a summer uh, naturalist park ranger for the National Park Service. In fact, he's teaching classes this next weekend, I think, fly fishing classics. Incredible guy. But Mark made me a little two-weight, described my name, business name on it. Little rod weighs about an ounce and a half. I'm almost afraid to take it out of the case, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Got a jungle cock feather inlaid in the shaft of the rod, and you can't even get that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll show it to you sometime. You can't touch it, but you can look at it. <laughs> I'll, I'll put my hands behind my back. <laughs> yeah, I may tie them, you know. But yeah, what a treasure in a, in a keepsake. But the fascinating thing is about this this trout fishing, whether you're talking Merrimack, Current, Nyang, or whatever. Man, we're really so fortunate here in the Missouri Ozarks, and, and so thankful for the people of Missouri that they are so conservation minded. You know, in 1937 or so, we set up the Missouri Department of Conservation and the Conservation Federation as kind of a watchdog. But, you know, we tax ourselves one eighth of one percent. Everybody uh, pays that tax. And man, we just generate tens of millions of dollars every year for Missouri Department of Conservation and what a job they are doing and we've just got so many directions we can go whether you're in Jeff City or St. James or Springfield or wherever in the state of Missouri you're not that far from some prime trout fishing waters and and you know man I'd put some of these streams I've fished out west and I tell you what I do a lot better in the Merrimack and the Niangua current 11 point than I did in the western streams and if you pick your days you know uh, i promote uh, going there in the week if you can you can get away from the crowds and man if you'll go in those uh cold blustery winter days you can get a stream all yourself too one of my favorite trips a few years on the merrimack i went on a oh, I, man it was way below freezing was spitting snow real windy and i went down to the merrimack went to walk through merrimack spring waited down the stream and Fished four or five hours, never saw another soul. And, Michael, you're going to think I'm lying to you, but just keeping a running total in my head, I caught, give or take 40 or 50 inches, I caught 540 inches of brown trout. Wow, that is amazing. Never. Truly incredible. And a lot of times I pack video camera with me. I didn't take any of that that day. And I thought, oh, man, I wish I'd have brought video equipment. So I went back the next day and caught two fish. (laughs) <laughs> it was a br- bright sunny day <laughs> isn't that, isn't that the way it, it goes isn't that the way it goes yeah, that's, that's exactly what i was gonna say that's, <laughs> that, that figures <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well when you're uh, getting a client uh lined up somebody calls and they want to go fishing with you do you are there questions that you ask them to kind of figure out over the phone what you're going to have to do to satisfy them or give them a good trip? Absolutely. So one of the first questions I ask before I ask about, you know, their experiences or anything like that is what do you want out of this trip? This Uh is your day. You're paying paying me for it. What kind of experience do you want? Are you wanting to learn? Are you wanting to go out and catch just a bunch of fish? Are you wanting to target some bigger fish? wanting to try out some new techniques, you know, and I've, I've, I've had all different kinds of requests when I ask that. I think it's really important that I ask that question. Because oh, absolutely. Smart. I've had, I've had, I've had clients that say, you know, I really want to work on this specific technique or, you know, one of my favorite moments ever guiding so far was I had a dad and he brought his seven year old daughter out and he said, I want you to focus on her. All I want you to do for me today is look at how I mend and help me correct my mistakes. Uh-huh. The rest of the time, I want you to focus on my daughter. I said, awesome. This is so cool. Let's do it. So uh, got the daughter on a bunch of fish. She had a great time. And then uh, dad came around. He said, okay, check this out. And I said, okay. And we worked on his, on his mending a little bit. We went back to the daughter. And I got to tell you, it was probably one of the most rewarding days I've ever had guiding. It was so cool. 
Well, it sounds like a cool day. You wish every day could be like that. I'm sure you get the difficult client once in a while. Yeah, I've seen a lot of time in my lifetime hear guides talk about the person who wants to guide the guide. But hey, <laughs> hopefully those are rather rare. Well, Michael, get down to the last couple of minutes of the program here. I want to give you the opportunity to tell people how to get a hold of you and how to schedule a trip. What's your contact info? Sure. So you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and I'm even because I'm a young, I'm a millennial. I'm even on TikTok. <laughs> but uh, I should have known. Mountains guide. <laughs> uh, uh, you can find me at Misty Mountains Guiding Service, and if you want to give me a phone call, uh, it's five seven three eight two three nine zero five seven. Give me a call or a text. Leave a voicemail if I don't pick up, and I'll get back to you. But I'm Love to get love to get you guys to uh, come fishing with me and learn some new stuff. Have a great time. Oh man, uh, you've convinced me. I I, I want to go. Sign me up. You know, and uh, you'll have to come come down and uh, let's go down the Merrimack together. Maybe I can teach sure, you a thing yeah. or two. Maybe you can teach me something. You know, I'll probably want to. Oh, go. I'm sure you can teach me something. Yeah, though. I'll probably want to <laughs> go in in the in the winter time because I am man. I'm a hardcore cold weather fan in fact uh, uh damon spurgeon works with uh, mike sexton he's on a u.s world fishing team he was just in where italy or somewhere uh wow u.s took uh, first place i think in that competition mike sexton took fifth overall himself and i get to flow along with these guys and watch them and video them and cook for them man we was out one bitter cold day and all i took was a just a cast little cast iron pot of ham and beans warmed it up right on the river bank and those guys ate like pigs man <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure they appreciated you oh the, they did man I've, that that cook pots made me a lot of friends over the years and i always <laughs> tell people you know I, still a lot of people make fun of me referring to me as the gravel bar gourmet but i brag you know I, well my everybody wants to know my secret ingredients for my face at favorite recipe i said well they're all my favorites my secret ingredient it's no secret it's a pinch of sand you know drop a little sand <laughs> in every dish i make <laughs> yeah it's not a river meal unless there's a little sand in there oh you get sand in your underwear and everywhere else so you just well have it in your food <laughs> well, michael man it has been an absolute delight to have you on the on the program and i like to leave people with this thought uh every every show we do you know you and i are living our outdoor dreams we we really are you know i'm kind of sure yeah getting towards the end of my career i i, I probably only got 20 years left you know and uh, uh but i've had a good 50 years in it and i love to see young fellows like yourself and ladies coming into the outdoor industries and doing great things and i, I try to encourage you young folks and tell you that what you're doing, I know you love it, and it's a great deal of fun, but understand this if you haven't thought about it. What you're doing is very important to the future of the outdoors, and particularly here in the Missouri Ozarks, because you're teaching people skills that they can use for the larger portion of their lives. Uh, but beyond that, beyond the skills, you're changing attitudes and teaching attitudes and helping ensure that we're going to have great outdoors to enjoy here in the missouri ozarks for a very very long time so folks i encourage you to get outdoors and live your outdoor dreams i'm bill cooper and this has been living the dream outdoors podcast hey guys this is frank cox with living the dream outdoor properties hey have you ever considered a career in real estate if you have but you don't have your license this is your opportunity so each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by 
Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.